best support your children's education so that they succeed, whether they are in the classroom, doing homeschool, or a little bit of both, so that they grow up owning their own learning, stay teachable, and eager to figure something out if they don't know it. Stephanie Soul will help us answer this question in today's conversation. Stephanie Soul is an independent education consultant in Quebec who helps both students and parents take ownership of their education by choosing an education path that's best for them. This could be in school, homeschool, or something in between. Most importantly, the goal is self-directed learning so that the student is engaged, happy, and confident in all areas of life, not just school. You can find Stephanie through her website, stephaniesoul.ca, her Facebook page, LinkedIn, and in her Unschooling School online cafes. All of these links are in the show notes. Hey mama, do you catch yourself thinking and speaking a whole lot of negativity and complaining? Do you try to keep your patience but find yourself frustrated and shouting instead? Do you feel tired, pulled in all directions like it's too much? Mama, you juggle all the things, the kids, their schoolwork, their activities, the dishes, the laundry, your own work or business, what's for dinner again, and your marriage. Even in the middle of it all, you can stay renewed. You can think right, speak right, and respond right. I'm Kimberly Mutar, and I help mamas like you stay renewed. No matter how many times you hear, mommy, mommy, how many toy fights you break up, or how many times you need to rewarm your coffee, you can think right, speak right, and respond right. Your words are two things, mama, blessings or curses. Are you thinking and speaking blessings and words of life over all you juggle each day? Or are you thinking and speaking negativity, complaining, and word curses? You can keep watch over your thoughts and your words so that you stay renewed and live from a place of abundance. If you need another mama who's juggling it all too to help you stay renewed in your thoughts, the words you say, and your parenting approach, this podcast is for you. Let's go. Stephanie, you and I both love learning, but not everyone, not every child is eager to learn and to explore and to find out why or how something works. Sometimes it's like pulling teeth to get our kids to do their homework or their schoolwork. So I'm so glad that we're having this conversation. Let's answer the question of how we can best support our children in their education, whether they are in the classroom or they're doing homeschool or a little bit in between, a little bit of both, so that they like or love learning. Sounds good. (laughs) What does it mean to own your own learning? What does that look like? Yeah, so I have that as my tagline because I feel like it's 
a really fundamental concept. If we think about young, young children and we think about what are some of their initial learning uh, opportunities? We think about a baby that's trying to learn to roll over or to sit up or to walk. And if we look at what that whole process looks like, what initiated it, how we respond to it, how it kind of plays out, when it plays out, that's what owning your learning looks like. You know, there's no part of us that says to a young baby, okay, today's the day you're going to learn to walk. Right. <laughs> so it really is their learning and them owning that learning. And then I think it's really interesting as parents of older kids and as adults to think, what does own your learning mean like for you? Or what does it mean like for your teen? So for example, a lot of teens are really driven to learn to drive. Right. They will put up with hours of boring classroom lessons on learning to drive because they really want to learn to drive. So that's an example of owning their learning. As an adult, I love rivers and I always wanted to go on a canoe trip down a river, but I'm terrified of quickly moving water. Rapids mm. scare the daylights out of me. And I really wanted to be able to canoe down a river. So eventually I learned how to navigate a rapid because I so wanted to be able to canoe down the river. I owned that. And had somebody tried to tell me it was time for me to overcome that fear and just do it, it wouldn't have worked. So right. in different times of life, what does it look like to truly own your learning? I think that's how we get that understanding. Right. So then maybe we throw a little bit of a wrench into that owning your own learning when we're like, okay, now it's time for you to go to school, <laughs> right? Now it's time for you to sit down and do this worksheet. Absolutely. And it's interesting because a lot of young children, kindergarten age, are so excited to go to school. Like they can't wait to go to school. And that often shifts within mm -hmm. a few weeks, months, or years to a reluctance or a stress or a not wanting to or liking aspects, but not other aspects. So what happens? You know, why do we have this four-year-old who's super excited and a seven or 10 or 16-year-old who's not? And I think that's, um, again, it comes back to that idea of owning your learning. You know, with me in the white water, if somebody had told me, you've got to do it, I wouldn't have been able to or wanted to. I wasn't consenting. When I decided I wanted to do it, I consented. And that right. was a big difference. So with kids, it is looking at that. What are they consenting to? We don't always think of giving them the consent or the, would you like to learn this? It's, you've got to learn this, right? Exactly. If we, as parents or teachers observing that a child is not really pushing through to figure something out, if we can take a step back and say, okay, well, what's going on here? Is this a situation where they're choosing to learn this or is it being imposed on them? Are they choosing to learn it, but how is being imposed on them? Mm. Are they choosing to learn it, but when is being imposed or they have to learn the whole thing and they can't just learn a little bit. What's actually going on? So if we can step back and take a look at that situation, then we can understand it a little bit more. And that's going to give us some clarity about how to help a child return to that eagerness that they intrinsically have to figure things out. Right. We have to step back and check our approach. And right. check what their experience is. Are they right. actually wanting to figure this thing out or not? Yes. Not, 
then that's, you know, what, what can we do with that? So it's interesting as well to think, well, if we're seeing a child, you know, say they're dealing with, a, you know, a math problem and they really just don't want to try to figure it out. They're just wanting to give up. Right. It's easy to think, oh, like they don't have that sense of perseverance or it's, you know, why aren't they able to push through? So again, stepping back or stepping aside in this case, I would say, take a moment to think, what are situations where your child does push through? Mm. And then just line those two up. So it's like, you know, maybe when they're, I don't know, trying to climb to the very top of a tree, right? they climb and climb and they figure it out and, you know, they are persevering like crazy because they really want to do it. So what's the difference here? So first of all, just noticing what the difference is. And then realizing, is there a way that we can create a situation that they don't actually mind being in, that they can consent to figuring this out? Mm. That can really make a big difference to those situations. I just love thinking of it that way. In our train of thinking that my child has to know this and has to know this and has to know this, we are forgetting that in the has to, that we can help them want to in their own way. Yes. And that has to doesn't necessarily have to happen now mm-hmm. or when we right. think it's supposed to happen. And an interesting example of that is if you look in the world of um, unschoolers, so people right. who are tending to learn outside of school without a specific curriculum, there's a really wide range of ages that children learn to read at. Anything from you know three or four right up to 12 years old. And what we see is that no matter what age they learn to read at, by the time they're 13 or 14, they're all expert readers. It mm. has no bearing on when they learn to read. And the 13 or 14 year olds who got to learn to read when they wanted to are often more motivated as readers. Right. Than people who were kind of pushed into it at a time when they weren't really wanting to, to start doing it. So as a parent, when you find yourself thinking, okay, how do I help my kid to want to do this? Again, step back and just check in. Do they need to do this right now? Mm. And if they do, Sure. And there are absolutely times that we need to do things, but it might be that you can say, well, they're actually just not that into reading right now, but boy, do they love playing with Lego. Maybe Mm. that's okay. And, you know, it's not always. And the example that for my life of that is my eldest, when he was kindergarten age, he wasn't really showing any interest in reading at all, but our family is half Polish and he was going to Saturday morning Polish school. And even though he, he was at home as a homeschooler, unschooler the rest of the time, but Saturday morning, he had this quite structured, rigid, conventional <laughs> approach right. to learning for three hours. Right. And everybody else was in school and going through a methodic approach to learning to read. Right. And I realized, you know, if he has no idea how to start deciphering words, he's going to feel very different. Mm-hmm. in a way that's probably not going to be very helpful. So right. I made the decision to start introducing reading to him because it made sense. Right. In another circumstance, I might not have done that. So there's always that balance of what's your kind of ideal like value or you know philosophy around this versus what's your reality. So if you're right. homeschooling your child and you know, for example, they're going to be re-entering school next year at grade two, then you probably want to make sure that your child 
has some exposure to reading because they will need that for when they go back to school. But if you know for sure they're not stepping foot inside school ever or until high school, maybe you can just let it go and see when they start initiating the reading process. Well, that all makes sense when I think about my three children and their reading journeys, because my first was three and asking me to read. And I was thinking, oh, no, it's okay. Let's go play. <laughs> we don't have to worry about reading right now. I read lots to her, got to where I was thinking, she's going to think that mommy doesn't keep her word because mommy says, yes, I'll teach you how to read, but not yet. So she was reading by four and a half. But then my second one, was later and I thought, oh dear, I better get on this. And I thought, oh no, she's going to end up having some reading challenges. I just kind of let it rest. And then it was like, boom, it's like a, this that she was reading on her own. She had basically taught herself. So it's homeschooling or the unschooling definitely gives us that freedom to let our children flourish when they're ready. Yes. And I think that you bring up a really important point that Learning can happen like that when the moment is right for reading and for other things as well, for math, you know, for right. learning to count money or whatever it is, when there's suddenly that reason for them to learn, then it happens really fast. And right. that's something that can give parents a lot of um, ability to kind of let go is, you know, we're used to thinking what well, it takes six months or a year or two years to learn to read. But actually, as you said, Sometimes it just almost seems to happen overnight, magically, right. as if they taught themselves. <laughs> so things don't have to take a long period of time. So by delaying something, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be behind, but just that they get to that finish point, if you want to put it that way, in a different way. Even with children who are in school, it's more difficult to create that flexibility for them, but it's certainly not impossible. If you're able to have a conversation with a teacher, to say things like, you know, when my child gets home, they're really tired and I can see that they just need to play or snuggle up on the sofa or whatever it is. And what if instead of doing, you know, math four nights a week, we chose two nights a week and we did math those nights. Would that work? How, would, how could that work for the classroom? Those are some of the ways that we can find flexibility that our children are showing us they need, mm. even when our children are in school as well. That's fantastic. Austin the Hedgehog is bringing mailbox fun to your kids. Your children ages 3 to 13 can receive mailbox surprises like activity postcards, happy birthday cards, stickers, crafts, recipe cards, coloring pages, puzzles, special gifts like the I Am Loved journal, a tumbler, Austin's matching happy birthday toque, and so much more from Austin the Hedgehog. Straight to your mailbox with their own name on it each month. All teaching life lessons such as helping, using time wisely, how to monitor their own screen time, how to choose the right friends. Being strong means more than just muscles. How to have self-control and their words are like seeds that will grow into fruit in their life. It is oh so good from Austin the Hedgehog. Two subscription levels are available. Register your children today at austinskidsclub.com. 
This is a big question, but tell us about learning and how it plays a role in how we feel about ourselves and our abilities, especially when we're young and how we carry that into our adulthood. Yeah, so we've talked around this a little bit already. And I think that, again, I would, inv if, with thinking about this question, I think we often think of learning as being related to academics. Mm. Whereas if we can start thinking about learning in non-academic contexts, then it can give us a really clear understanding of how we learn, what our approach to learning is, um, you know, the, the kind of more holistic thinking around learning. So if we're wanting to think about how our children are with learning when they're children and how that might be for them as adults, again, go back to that process of them, say, learning to walk think about what it looked like when they initiated. How did you respond as an adult, as their parent? What happened when they showed that they were done? When mm. they just decided, I'm going to sit down and I'm done. You know, yeah. How did you respond to that? And then take that kind of process or that scene that happened and put it into the scene that you're currently thinking about. You know, maybe it's around piano lessons. Mm. You're thinking, oh, like... I remember I had such a hard time with piano lessons. I hated them, but boy, I really wish I'd learned to play and maybe I should just like push them through it. And so having that clarity around, how did I respond? How did they respond? How did they initiate when they were learning to walk? Now think about piano lessons. Oh, they showed that they wanted to learn because they went and like played around on our neighbor's piano. Mm -hmm. hmm. What did I do? Often as parents, what we do is like, oh, they want to learn piano. Yay! We're going to <laughs> sign them up for lessons. <laughs> exactly. We ask around to find the best teacher and, and we're yeah. doing everything from absolute love and desire to help our kids. But meanwhile, our kid was like, I was just kind of playing around on the piano and thought it would be fun to be able to play a song. Like, right. And now I have half an hour of piano practicing every day. <laughs> and I'm exaggerating, obviously. But yeah. I think it's that thinking about it in those terms can really help, help us to slow down and listen to what is the child actually wanting? What are they asking for? And what is their experience? So, you know, if we come to school, a school type of subject, let's think about spelling. Maybe a child says to you, mom, how do you spell book? And they just want you to say B-O-O-K. Uh huh. But often we're like, oh, well, you know, it's part of the Ook family, and, it's, you know, <laughs> and there's other words like it, and because we're we're so wanting to offer them that. But if you go back to when they were learning to walk, that's the equivalent of you like, you know, twisting them around and like setting goals and help. Like it's the equivalent of you getting in the way. In the uh, yeah. So I think that if we can almost recognize learning as being like this precious seedling. And if we overwater it or move it too often to better soil or it's, it won't survive. Mm. If we help, you know, protect it, protect its space, but allow it its space uh -huh. and that's how it flourishes. And so any kind of learning opportunity with our kids, I think it's the same kind of thing. But let's think it's possible or tell me, is it possible that if I struggled with math growing up or I struggled with spelling or whatever it was, 
can I pass that perception of struggling onto my kids by maybe the words I say or how I respond to the math? For example, what if I say, oh, boy, math was so hard for me. I just didn't get it. And then the child, our child says, oh, well, this is hard for me. I don't want to do it. I guess I'm not good at math either, like mom. Can we pass that on to our kids? <laughs> totally. It's really easy to do that. The opportunity in that and the beauty in that moment is thinking, well, why, why do I actually feel like I'm really bad at math? Mm. What actually happened with me and math when I was a kid? And often it winds up being something like, oh, like I just got so bored because I had to do, you know, 15 questions the same, even though I got it on the first one. And, and that started to make me like not good at math anymore because I just wasn't engaging because I hated it. Or mm -hmm. it was always, you know, I just didn't understand the way they were explaining stuff. And what was going on? for you and think about how might that have been different for you had somebody said to you you know what what do you want to learn in math or this you know you've chosen to go to school this is grade five math how how, how does it work for you to learn it and you know you won't necessarily get asked the question in those words but to be given options around you know say for example um you know, here's the grade five math curriculum. Here's the option to do it on a computer where you work through at your own pace. Here's the option to do it with, you know, a, an older student who finds the stuff really fun and you really like that older student and you have a good time. Here's the option to do it, um, you know, at home and then just ask questions of the teacher when you're in class. Did you have some options around figuring out how you were best going to learn that math? Or what might those options have looked like? So, taking the time to get curious about what your experience was, starting to draw some conclusions, and then understanding why you feel like you're no good at math. So with that understanding, you can then engage with your child differently. Right. So they might be saying like, you know, can you help me with, I don't know, studying for multiplication tables? And you're like, oh gosh, I hate that. I found that so stressful. And you can respond by sharing that with them. Like, oh yeah, I found that so stressful because for me, this was my experience. How do you find it? Mm -hmm. How can, what do you have to do at school? What's the test gonna look like? Okay, how do you wanna practice at home? Always kind of naming that we each have different ways of learning and of engaging with things and being curious about asking them what works for them and how you can support them. Because that's the equivalent of when your baby is pulling themselves up on the coffee table and trying to stand up and they're getting a bit of confidence. And then you put your finger out to offer for them to put their hand on your finger to step away right. from the table. That's right. The equivalent of that with grade five math is how can I help you? Do you want to do this or this? So right. always recognizing their autonomy as a learner and helping them to see and value it as well which is something that we can do whether they are in the classroom or at home, because while they may have to answer their questions in a way that the teacher expects or perform on a test the way the teacher wants them to, we can still at home uh, nurture that and ask those questions and say, okay, how can we practice this in a way that resonates with them?
You know, if it's learning money, let's go to the grocery store. Let's go buy some things, right? <laughs> if that's what yeah. they want to do, yeah. Like, and noticing right. when when does money mean something to them, right? And then you know, sometimes it's just acknowledging, like, you know, I know that when you go to the store and you buy something, I see that you can do that. But when you have to do like drawn pieces of money on a worksheet, it feels really different. Hey, like that's like, does that really not maybe feel like money? Like it just sort of, right. it's okay to acknowledge that the school system, much as we may enjoy it or the child may enjoy it, it has its limitations because it's, you know, a one to many type of model. Right. And, you know, they're not going to go to the store with 30 kids and watch that everybody's <laughs> doing. Like, it's just not possible. And that's okay. Right. So right. it's okay to say to our kids, like, yeah, I, I know when I go to the store with you that you get it, but your teacher doesn't get to do that. So you kind of have to translate getting it right. onto a piece of paper so your teacher can see it. Like, isn't that funny? Like, ha, 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 you know, and just yes. helping them to sort of see that, just to see the limitations that are getting in the way of their sense of um, accomplishment when it comes mm -hmm. to school things, if that's what's happening for them. If there is one gift that you could give your children today, it would be your words, chosen carefully and spoken well. The words you speak today are like seeds planted in their hearts and minds. These word seeds will sprout and bear fruit in their life as they grow and become adults. Use Speak Life badges, sticker award badges, along with suggested scripts or words you can say in the situations you encounter with your children. These scripts are designed to help you to speak to your child's individual personality, to break lies they may be believing, and to help them to grow up with a truth-filled mindset. Get them today at speaklifebadges.com. Well, what else can we do at home as mothers to create a safe and helpful learning environment for our children? That it's okay to try something and maybe they don't like it anymore. It's not what they hoped it would be. Yeah. Or it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to keep trying. How do we create that safe environment? You've already given so many suggestions. Tell us some more. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think so much of it is that idea of not separating academic learning from life learning because mm -hmm. if we're if we're always engaging in a way that you know living is learning and learning is trying and like, then that, that approach to life really grounds us in a feeling of it's safe mm -hmm. to try things it's safe to ask questions it's not a failure when something doesn't work it was just a try so you know you can do things like hey i'm gonna bake I don't know, for me in our house, this happens. I'm going to make a banana bread. I'm going to put nuts at one end and chocolate chips at that end as well and nothing extra at the other end. Let me know what you like better. Right. Like that kind of thing. Instead of, oh, I made a banana bread, there was nuts and chocolate chips throughout and it really didn't work because everybody hated it. Like, right. So <laughs> this kind of just sort of starting to think in those terms. There's some very like specific situations that can arise that get really tricky. So for example, the idea of trying something, like say your child is like, I really want to try gymnastics, sign me up. <sighs> and you sign them up for a you know $300 gymnastics class. Right. <laughs> and after session two, they're like, done, not interested. 
Right. That's a really tricky situation as a parent because there's only so many times you can sign up for a $300 class, especially if you're not going to complete it. Then we have that, okay, what's the balance between trying something and also, you know, maybe just needing to follow through on it. Mm -hmm. So I think there, again, that idea of open communication can really, really help, you know, to say, yeah, like this school year, we can sign you up for two different group lessons. If they want to do both and they quit both of them, that's fine. But then there isn't space for another one if that's what the reality is. Mm-hmm. And I think also helping your children to understand um, what is the way to enjoy whatever it is. So for example, if you if they're signing up for piano lessons and you've checked in, like, you know, do you actually want to have a teacher? Like, is it that you, we'd let, do we want to get a keyboard so you can play around and sort of teach yourself? Or are you wanting right. to have a teacher? Okay, yes, we're going to sign up for some lessons. And then helping them to have that conversation with the teacher of like, this is what I'm hoping to get out of this. Mm. Does that work for you, teacher? Like, how can, does, am I saying something that works for you? Right. So the teacher can then say, yeah, like if, if you're wanting to learn to play, you know, Mozart Sonata, and you want to learn by Christmas, I could try to help you do some of this in these ways, but there might be some so that that conversation happens. Modeling that kind of thing for your child is really, really helpful. It shows them that what they want means something and that it is a way of moving through life, being clear on what you want and checking in. Is that what I would get out of this thing I'm about to sign up for? And if not, go check in somewhere else and see where you might get it. Or maybe yeah. you have to modify your expectation. Right. So all of that engaging and helping our kids see that they, they naturally um, initiate learning and that how they, the way that they do that, they can bring that to all contexts and how it plays out will be different, but helping them to see that they can think like that. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's fantastic. I loved how you said about modeling it because even they are children are watching us. So even in things we're trying, maybe we're building a garden box or something yeah. and we say, well, I don't know, haven't built a garden box like this before. Let's give it a try. Right. And then we step back and we say, so what do you think? Did it turn out okay? Is this going to be strong enough to hold all the, the dirt, you know? Or, or there's lots of times where I'll say, boy, this is not turning out how I hoped. Okay. You know, what, what can we do here to fix this? Or, you know, this is taking longer than I expected. I'm so sorry. Let's see what we can do about this. Like if we are demonstrating that to them, helps them to apply that to their life. In those opportunities as well, we can also model different ways of of solving those um, situations. So, for example, if it's the garden box and, you know, you've tried doing it and it's not working, then you might say something like, oh, like our neighbor has amazing garden boxes. Maybe we could go and check in with them and see Mm -hmm. if they have some suggestions. Yeah. Or maybe I'm going to go online and look again at what are common things that don't work out for garden boxes. Showing them that it's okay to ask other people who like things to help us. It's okay to go and research. Maybe we can sign up for a class on how to build a garden box. That kind of modeling is really helpful. And it's neat as well because, you know, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as parents to get it right Mm. and to, you know, to 
be perfect for our kids, perfect models, perfect teachers. And that idea of how do I, how do I work through something and I'm going to let them see me work through it. It takes a lot of pressure off because we mm. don't have to stay up till one or two in the morning and figure out how to build the perfect garden box. Right. We can help them. We can invite them into the process and right. we can accept if they show that they're done because consenting also means being able to leave. So if they, if you say, Hey, do you yes. want to build a garden box? We also have to be ready to accept them saying I'm done now. I'm bored. And that's what okay. Yes. 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 It's beautiful that you say that because we had the same thing with one of our children. We we're like, well, how come they just, you know, they're only here for like five minutes <laughs> and we really want them to help us learn this. This is a good life skill. <laughs> right. But it's exactly right. We weren't thinking in the context of giving, letting them consent to their learning. They'll come back when they're ready. Exactly. If you force them to stay, they'll probably never come back. Right. But if you give them, if you're like, okay, you know, I'm going to continue working on this. It doesn't mean you have to drop it, Uh huh. but if you're going to continue working on it and then you invite them to come back whenever they're ready, then, then they probably will come back. Yes. It's always that letting go and remembering mm. that they're a different person. Mm. And, you know, I, I work a lot with, with teens and parents of teens. And in that context, we often talk about when, um, when a baby is born, they're wholly dependent on you. Right. When they're 25, they're, you know, 99.98% independent. <laughs> and somewhere from zero to 25, you have to bit by bit and often make huge letting go moments. So anytime we can let go, we're handing over, we're helping the child's autonomy to exist as autonomy. Mm. Anytime you say, no, you have to stay here. You're taking away their chance to make their own decision. Mm. And of course, when they're one, if you want to go to the grocery store and they're having attention, they don't want to go like you know, you can't say, okay, stay here. Right. That's a moment where they have to come with you. Right. But when they're 12, when you're building a garden box, maybe it's okay to say, okay, see you whenever I see you next. Right. And all those little moments are what prepares them to be ready to be fully autonomous and fully mm. independent at whatever right. age that feels right for them. Yes. This is fantastic. I'm feeling like a lot of mamas out there are like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. They're getting it. It's like a little bit of a, a breakthrough there. Thank you so much. But Stephanie, tell me, I mean, what do we do when our children really do need to learn to multiply and they really do need to learn to divide and they have to tell time and they have to be able to count money, <laughs> but they just want to go off and play. And we want to say, but you have to do your math first. Is it okay to just let it pass or pause until they are ready? I think we always benefit from stepping back. Mm. So that stepping back to open up our thinking. So if, if you're in a moment and you think that, you know, supper's in an hour, they want to play and there's homework. And in your mind, it's logical that they would do their homework first and then go play. If we can step back and just take a moment and think for them, what's most important right now? Most important is play. That's what they want to do. 
That's what they're driven to do. That's what is instinctive for them to do as children. That's what they haven't gotten to do while they were at school. Mm. Of course they want to play. Their sense of, okay, well, doing math and then I can go play, like that's a hard kind of notion. That's a bit more of an adult notion, that kind of organizing of our time. Mm -hmm. So if we force them to do the math and it's really a big deal for them, what, how's that homework moment likely to go? Probably not Tears. Well. <laughs> so they're probably not going to learn whatever they had to learn. Right. And they're also not going to get to play. So, you know, one possible thing to just say is how, how is my child best served in this moment? I can see they need to play. Mm. Go play. Enjoy. Once they've played, once they've filled themselves in that way, who knows how they're going to respond to, oh, did you have math homework tonight? They might be like, yep, okay, I'm going to go do it. Done. Or they might be still groaning and then you can mm. handle it if it happens. But no matter what, they've, they've nourished themselves and they've done what is developmentally ap appropriate. They've had that natural learning opportunity that play represents. So that's a big, big thing. And then we, I touched on this earlier is also trusting that we don't have to spend hours and hours and hours learning things, even though it's often normalized that that is the way it will be. Mm -hmm. So right. multiplication tables, yes, you can practice them every day for half an hour, but maybe you can also just have a great game on the weekend and they'll get as far because they're open to it. And, you know, I think again, that's an opportunity to talk to the teachers. If you're really seeing that there's a push-pull between what your child's need is and what the expectation is because of a commitment to school, then really share that with the teachers. There's a lot more openness to the idea that homework is not necessarily productive mm. in a school context. So I think there's a lot of teachers out there who are really ready to hear that. I know even 20, almost 30 years ago, when I was teaching in school, <laughs> I, as, a, as a young adults who didn't have kids yet, who you know wasn't thinking this way at all yet, mm -hmm. I could already sense that requiring homework of kids at the end of the day just didn't really make sense. Like I could just feel it intuitively. Mm. So I think that, you know, if you can honestly go in and share, like, we don't want to cause chaos in the classroom by our kids showing up without their homework done. And your child doesn't want to be the child that doesn't have their homework done. Right. But saying, is there some way that we can set it up so that they can also play? You know, what, are some, what are some options that we could creatively think of? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good. I just want to say that if our evenings are so full that there isn't that time for our children to have the play or the downtime or the craft time or whatever it is, and they got to race off to this activity and they still got to do this math page or whatever, then maybe we have to step back and say, are we filling too much into our evenings that it's not working for us. I think that is such an important point. I'm really glad you brought it up because yes, with Hannah Beach's website. So the idea that play is what comes from inside and it, 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 it's like a manifestation of who we are and how we grow and all of that. And activities have started to replace play. Screens mm. have started to replace play. And when you're in an activity, you're still being done too. It's still, the guidance is still coming from outside. And it's, right. we all know that we need time to decide what we want to do. Right. So no matter how fun that activity is or how much they love it or how much everybody else is doing it, if it's really meaning that your child doesn't have time to 
initiate their own stuff, their mm. own choices, then it might be causing more harm than good to their development, to their well-being. Right. So I think that's a really important point. Another way of creating time, which isn't always graciously received as an idea, but sometimes is, is to spend less time at school. Mm. So for kids, for parents of younger children, they will sometimes say, you know what, we don't go to school on Wednesdays or mm. Fridays or Mondays. It's, if you're, if something like that sounds interesting to you, it's really important to be aware of what the context is. You know, as a teacher, if you've got a child who's never there on Wednesdays and Wednesdays is always introducing, I don't know what, and like right. that child's never there, that causes a problem. And that's, that's not fair to the teacher. But there's almost always flexibility and creativity that can allow for a child who is best served by being home a day a week or two days a mm. week to still work well within the classroom. Some parents will say, you know, we just do it. And like sometimes it's Monday, sometimes it's Wednesday. We just know in our heads that there's usually a day that they don't go in. And that works really well. Others have a regular arrangement. Maybe they go to forest school that day. So they have a day in the forest rather than a day mm. in the classroom. And I've heard many, 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 many stories where um, principals, teachers, parents have worked it out and everybody's super happy with the arrangement. So that's mm. really something that I encourage people to consider. Yes, I have heard that too from some of my tutoring parents when their kids were younger. And I was like, oh, wow, you did that? That's cool. And it always worked out for them. It's always worth asking. You know, when we lived in Poland for a while and it was still, you know, when you go into a store and there'd be the counter and the lady was behind the counter and you had to ask for what you wanted. It was very rigid and quite, you know, it, the way it had been for a long time. And one of the mm. things we learned was it's always worth asking. You, know, you go in and things appear to be a certain way. And if you ask, suddenly it becomes a human to human contact uh -huh. instead of a system yeah. to, to, uh, what's the word I want? Like system to customer contact. Customer, Yeah. And I think it's the same thing within the school system. With any system, a system has to have its way of being to serve most people. Right. But no one individual is most people. There's no such thing as a person that actually is most people. So it's always okay to ask and to have creative um, conversations to explore how being in that system can work in a way that also nourishes what you need to nourish in your child or yourself. Well, Stephanie, you're giving us like a wealth of knowledge here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. This has been so good. Um, before we go, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? It's an example of just why it's worth thinking creatively. Mm -hmm. um, two students I know who were in their final year of high school were in a science stream meaning lots of math classes, physics, high level stuff. Right. Because I'm in Quebec and the way that they yeah. stream them at after grade nine, you choose whether you're going into more sciences or more social sciences. Right. And okay. There's a general um, approach that if you are a brighter student, if you have high marks, then the smart right. kids go into the sciences. Right. And that kind of general approach, you know, from what I've witnessed as a parent and as a, um, a coach of kids of that age is a lot of kids will find themselves in these science streams, which are really like pretty intense physics, chemistry, like, and they just don't actually want to be there. Mm. They're missing out on the opportunity to start learning psychology and philosophy and stuff that they 
once they show up in Sejaf and they learn those things, they're super excited by them. A guidance counselor got creative and started counting up the credits that they had earned already and realized that the three science classes that they had in their final year, they didn't actually need to pass these classes in order to mm. get their degree okay. or their diploma. And the way that it was set up, it didn't matter what marks they got in these classes. They could actually fail these classes and still have a successful diploma and move on to their their sejeps in this case. Right. And it turned out this guidance counselor's kind of um, sideways thinking freed up these two students from a tremendous amount of stress of trying to do right. these high-level science-oriented courses that they didn't want to do, were struggling with, and we're taking away from their mental and physical well-being. So mm -hmm. once that guidance counselor figured it out, suddenly the life of those students changed for the last five months of their high school experience. Mm. And that to me is such an example of why it's always worth asking. You know, mm. when something is feeling too hard or it's feeling like an obligation, but it's just not working, who can you ask or what is that? A creative way of thinking about it that might dramatically change it to mm. create a really positive living and learning experience. So I guess that's the sort of thing that was in my head that I wanted to share that specific example of it because I just it's such a powerful one. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you. I love that. You know, whatever it is that you're coming up against, whatever feels like a block, if you're in Quebec as a homeschooler and you're having to deal with the oversight of the DEM, the, um, the ministry oversight, Right. What is the way that, you know, by being clear on what your needs are as a family and what nourishes your child, what are the questions you can ask or the, the flexibilities that you can seek that could make a huge difference to your lives? Wonderful. Well, if you would like to hear more from Stephanie, she will be teaching a session at the upcoming Canadian Online Homeschool Conference 2023 that's happening in February, February 6th through 10th. She'll be sharing a session called I Never Plan to Homeschool. <laughs> so if you find yourself an unexpected homeschooler or a reluctant homeschooler, Stephanie will share strategies and ideas that help her reluctant or unexpected homeschooling clients feel more confident, peaceful, and even excited about this journey. You can even bring your own specific questions and challenges to this session. So that's amazing. That's all available in the upcoming Canadian Online Homeschool Conference 2023 that's happening February 6th through 10th. The link will be in the show notes and you can find Stephanie there. Don't miss out on the upcoming Canadian Online Homeschool Conference happening February 6th through 10th. Whether you are new to homeschooling or have a few years under your belt, the Canadian Online Homeschool Conference is a wonderful resource. I look forward to it each year. It is an online conference. You can take in the sessions while in your PJs. <laughs> there are 33 speakers, including 12 sessions for kids and teens. I'll be a speaker during the elementary focused day, day three, with a session called Goodbye Boring, Hello Homeschool Fun and Eager Learners. If you are finding your homeschool days boring, if it feels like the same thing each day, you want eager learners, but you're 
actually just nagging them to get their schoolwork done. In my session, you'll get activity and game ideas that will make reading and math fun and new each homeschool day for all of your learners, especially when they don't want to do workbooks or have no desire to read or write stories. A new idea for each day for a whole month, all with little prep time needed. Find the link in the show notes. Thank you. I would also so, add, if you don't mind, that I yeah, host, go ahead. Um, on behalf of Unschooling School, which is a great organization to, to take a look at, um, I host a bi-weekly free online cafe, which um, allows people to come and I, we usually have a particular theme, so I'll talk a little bit about whatever that theme is. And then the floor is open for people to ask questions and you know, there's often different experts there as well. And so there's an opportunity through the bi-weekly Unschooling School Cafe to, to engage as well, of course, as getting in touch with me for private consultations. Great, great. Well, that was my next thing I was going to ask you. I already shared in the intro where the listeners can find you, but I wanted you to tell us that yourself. So um, where can they follow you and how can they tell us again how they can get uh, into that cafe? My website is in the process of being updated and hopefully it will be put out within the next month. So all of these things will be really conveniently located in the same spot. But for now, I'll make sure to provide you with all the links, Kimberly. But um, the Unschooling School Cafe is most easily accessible through the Unschooling School Facebook group. And okay. there's also a newsletter that you can sign up for for that. And the link is in the Facebook group. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I also have my own uh, newsletter that people can sign up for. And that's um, all available through my website. Okay, fantastic. All right. Thanks so much, Stephanie, for the, the great nuggets that you gave us today. My pleasure. It was really good to have the conversation with you. And I look forward to checking out your session as well at the Canadian Homeschooler Conference. <laughs> Thank you. Mama, have you added the Renewed Mama podcast to your favorites for a deeper, practical, we're in this together connection? Follow or subscribe so that you won't miss an upcoming episode. If any of this content on the Renewed Mama podcast has blessed you or helped you in any way, would you take a moment right now and leave a review? This is the only way I know whether or not this content is helping you to think right, to speak right, and to respond right. Leaving a review also helps more mamas like you find the podcast and learn that they can keep watch over their thoughts and their words so that they stay renewed and live from a place of abundance. I thank you in advance for leaving a review. I can't wait to hear yours. Don't forget to DM three mamas you know who care about supporting their children in their education, whether that is in the classroom or through homeschool. Share Stephanie's encouragement with them. Lots of love. Bye.